0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am on the line with a couple of guests that I've been looking forward to speaking with. Uh, I've got Mike Schumacher, who is Director of Business Analytics with the Portland Trailblazers basketball team and Chenhui Hu, who is a data scientist at Microsoft. Uh, Mike and Chen Chenhui, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI.
1: Hi, Sam. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Why don't we, uh, in the tradition of the podcast, get started by having the two of you introduce yourselves. Mike, how did you get involved in analytics and uh, machine learning?
2: Sure. So my career started in software development. I, I got my master's in enterprise software architecture. And was an application developer for twelve years before coming to the Blazers. In um, those first few years before I made it to the Blazers, um, a lot of my work shifted from pure development over to data warehousing, business intelligence, you know, data analysis, data viz, those types of things. And my first few years with the Blazers was heavily focused on data management, getting our data warehouse set up, uh, marketing automation, CRM, and. As our systems and processes became, you know, more sophisticated, we started looking into machine learning and, and more predictive analytics, and that's kind of where we're at today.
1: Okay, great. And Chen Wei? hi, uh, I'm a data scientist at Microsoft AI and the Research in Boston. I joined Microsoft last year, and my current interest is to solve prediction and optimization problems in retail, marketing, and manufacturing. Before that, I finished my PhD study focusing on medical image data mining. That's pretty much my Respect one. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So Mike, my, my producer who stays on top of these things, t- tells me that a good place to start is to congratulate you for putting quite the smackdown on the Phoenix Suns <laughs> on opening night.
2: Yeah, I did not see that coming, especially with one of our best players sitting, sitting the game out. So that was uh, unexpected, but a very pleasant surprise for sure absolutely
0: absolutely why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about some of the applications uh, for analytics uh, at the blazers and and how that has grown to uh, involve machine learning
2: sure yeah we we spend a lot of time um, working with various departments across the organization um, we're we're almost like the data police at times there's Um, A lot of data warehousing that we do, we have integrations between different systems, we help with any type of data analytics project a department might need help them help them use data to make better business decisions. And so that's kind of the basis of our our group. Um, we, We do a lot with CRM, marketing automation. Um, a lot of one-off projects where we're, you know, we're presented with a problem and we go out and do the analysis to try to help uh, make a decision on something. And so that's kind of where we started. And, you know, as our foundation is, has grown and we've been able to, to build out that foundation with the Data Warehouse We've, we've started to reach out into these, some of these other areas, like the predictive analytics and the machine learning, and that's where we you know, decided to partner with, with Microsoft. We went over and did some use cases with them, and they've turned out you know, pretty successfully, and so we've, we've been moving in that direction.
0: Mm. And how, how many people on the analytics team there?
2: Uh, we have six on our analytics team right now.
0: Okay. And do you get involved in both front office types of use cases as well as back office player analytics and that kind of thing?
2: We have two sides of the business. Um, our, our team in particular focuses on the business side. There is also um, some basketball analytics, but our team isn't as involved with those.
0: Okay. All right, great. So maybe we can start out by having you walk through one of the early use cases for machine learning uh, with the team. Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, when we when we first talked to Microsoft, um, we, you know, we, we looked at how things came from in the past. And so, we, we used data in the past to um, run some of our, our sales campaigns. But a lot of times, um, we didn't have all the data we would need to set the campaign up the way we would like to. And so, what we wanted to do was we wanted to come to Microsoft Give them, you know, access to some of our ticketing data, some of our sales data, and and ask them to help us identify patterns that would allow us to target people in the right way. So, you know, we have, you know, over two hundred thousand people that have purchased tickets in the past, and we can't reach out to every single one of them and, and give them a phone call and, and and talk to them about if they'd be interested in coming out for another game. And so, mm-hmm. the idea was is we wanted to, you know, use the data to determine who who would be best to, to talk to, who else might be uh, best just to be reached out to via an email or some sort of marketing automation campaign. And so that's kind of the use case that we went to them with.
0: So you do have folks that are uh, actively outbound dialing out to past ticket uh, purchasers to try to get them to buy tickets for an upcoming game uh, via the phone?
2: Yes, absolutely. We have a, a sales team that's that's working with new customers. We also have a service team that that nurtures the the season ticket holders and helps them uh, maintain relationship with those um, ongoing buyers.
0: Okay, and so what were some of the first steps in tackling this uh, this challenge, which is ultimately ultimately it sounds like trying to sell more tickets.
2: Yeah. Um, the the. The tactic that we went with was we wanted to make the data points that we had available that we thought were um, predictive in understanding who would be interested in buying tickets again, make that available to Microsoft, try to kind of stay hands off with, um, in terms of um, our bias of not not necessarily bias, but our history of what we thought was the type of person we should be targeting and Mm -hmm. give them that data, allow the, the machine learning to look at all the different data points and how they interact and help us essentially score um, the customers and, and identify who would be a, a potential customer again.
0: Okay. Uh, so Chen when you uh, when this project kind of landed on your desk, uh, how did you approach it from the Microsoft perspective?
1: So uh, I joined this project, I think, in the second phase. So initially, my colleague uh, has been working with uh, Trailblazers on two different use cases. One uh, targeting at predicting the uh, seasonal ticket sales. The other is targeting the uh, uh, single game ticket sales prediction. And uh, I um, uh, imported the first use case to a new environment called Azure Machine Learning Workbench, uh, which allows data scientists to uh, do a lot of data preparation and develop models, experiments, and then deploy them at cloud scale very conveniently. So uh, we kind of like improved our original work in this new environment and then uh, made a demo in uh, the Ignite conference uh, this September. And so
0: was that primarily for the the first use case or the the second, or did you have the same couple of steps with both use cases?
1: Uh, For now, we only imported the first use case, but yeah, if time permitted, we can also do the same thing for the second one.
0: Ah, okay. what were some of the early findings with that first use case? Did you find that there are any uh, unique challenges associated with the the either the problem or the the data set that the Blazers
1: brought you? Of course, yeah. I think um, there are two, um, at least two unique challenges in this project. First of all, we need to um, combine different data sources to profile uh, each customer. Uh, for example, we have uh, data from brazers uh, describing the demograph- demographic inf- information, customer status, uh, customer interests, purchasing patterns, attendance information, and uh, even team preferences. And then on the other side, uh, we have uh, the third-party data from Exxon, which pretty much tells about the uh, lifestyle interest, broader interest of each customer. And then we need to also process those data uh, in a, uh, Azure data uh, SQL database, and then uh we need to combine the uh data processing step with the uh, model development step in the new environment, and uh, so uh, the so-called Azure uh, ML workbench environment. And then the second challenge is the um the process of develop the machine learning model, and then uh to come up the best machine learning model for prediction. Uh, essentially, I think the Simplest way is just to share a bunch of models and then uh, tune the hyperparameters. But it turns out pretty challenging to, um, to log the history of all the experiments. But thanks to the uh, new environment we have in the uh, uh, Azure, work, Azure Machine Learning Workbench, we are able to log all the uh, hyperparameters, performance metrics very easily and then visualize them, easily pick the best model.
0: OK, now that's a topic that we've covered on the podcast uh, quite a bit of late, um, various approaches to hyperparameter optimization. It sounds like uh, what you're describing is some kind of inherent features within the Azure ML platform that allow you to track kind of different runs with different sets of hyperparameters. Like, what, what exactly are you doing there? So
1: uh, essentially, uh, in the uh, Azure ML Workbench, You can uh, write like a Python script, for example, and then uh, train a machine learning model with different hyperparameters. And uh, it allows you to also uh, log the uh, parameters that you are using and uh, the uh, performance metrics that you end up to, um, to have in this model. And then if you later change another set of hyperparameters, you can easily see how the hyperparameter Uh, is impacting the performance metrics. It will automatically generate a set of graphs uh, telling you the impact of hyperparameters on each of your performance metrics. So does
0: it end up being uh, like a sensitivity analysis or is it more,
1: maybe more manual than that? Um, So it's, the original goal is like to provide you a a purely automatic way to select the model. But uh, of course, this is, are pretty challenging. For so now we have I think it's kind of semi-automatic way because uh you can write another s- script just to do a parameter sweep. Uh, meaning that you try different combination of the parameters and then just run a for loop and after running the um uh, this for loop you end up with the curve that I just described. This curve will show like okay. the uh yeah, the impact of the hyperparameters and then uh uh, ideally, you can also write another script to pick the optimal model based on certain criteria.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, so it sounds like it's giving you some kind of facility to implement your own grid search uh, of the hyperparameter space. What types of models, like what did you learn about the models themselves uh, for this type of problem? Uh, and you know, were there any surprising findings there?
1: Um, yeah, so we basically tried many standard classification models, for example, support vector machine logistic reg- regression, and boost decision tree random forest model. So uh, so first of all, um, almost all the models perform very um, almost the same in terms of the uh, accuracy, but uh, the uh, boost decision tree model is slightly better. And uh, in terms of the uh, accuracy and precision recall, we end up with a very high number. Uh, something around like 0.98 uh, in our testing uh, experiments. So that's pretty amazing to me at the first time. And then uh, some other findings also uh, pretty are pretty interesting. For example, uh, if we are targeting the uh, prediction of seasonal ticket purchase, uh, the um, uh, information about historical ticket purchasing pattern, like whether a customer is... Uh, single game p- ticket purchaser is very important for the prediction. And I think also the uh, amount of money that the customer has spent in the last season is also a strong indicator. Apart from that, uh, the um, income or the um, uh, occupation of the customer can also tell us a lot because um, the seasonal ticket is sort of um, e- expensive, then people has, um high income may tend to uh, keep purchasing this seasonal ticket. Uh,
0: those all strike me as fairly intuitive findings. Mike, was there any surprises in the results that you got back from Microsoft?
2: Yeah, I'd say that there there were certainly ones that were intuitive. Um, there were ones that, that jumped out to us like... Um, specific games or specific sets of um, numbers of games that a person has attended in the past it was you know it's different combinations of those variables that you, you hadn't looked at before a lot of times we're looking at something very specific like this person purchased you know five games in the past so they're someone that's very likely to to want to come back to a game the following year there's there was just this combination of all these different data points and then In one of the other use cases, we looked at the Axiom data. So like the demographic, psychographic, lifestyle data that um, Axiom Mm -hmm. provided. Data points that we'd never had before. um, Some of them that are obvious, like watching particular sports channels or are those types of things actually were were also predictive in the likelihood of someone purchasing. And so it was was pretty cool to see, you know, all these different data points and how they interacted.
0: Mm. Can you give an example of the, you know, a... a counterintuitive combination that you saw
2: Um, yeah for example there was one like there was um, and I'm not sure why but anyone that had been to a Minnesota Timberwolves game and had a credit card or sorry a loan that wasn't a credit card was also there was a significantly higher likelihood that they would purchase tickets again something that wow, would- a
0: loan that wasn't accredi- a credit so that something was a- totally out of left field that yeah, you would not have expected at all really interesting yeah. yep definitely hmm. and so how how have you used the you know the results of this work is this kind of running in production or how have you integrated into your selling and marketing workflows
2: yeah, for us, it, it's been kind of, we've been trying to prove out the software, I guess you could say. So we've just been getting into the machine learning and predictive analytics. And so what we wanted to do was run through a couple of use cases that we could actually measure the results to see if this is the tool we wanted to go with. And for like mm-hmm. the first use case we went through, um, normally on our sales campaigns, we'll convert at about 5% of the leads mm-hmm. that we contact. In this particular case, we converted at 25% and they were purchasing wow. season tickets in general. So, you know, very substantial. Um, we went through and did the second use case and looked at like, w- what's the likelihood of a single game buyer coming back the following season? And in general, we get about 16% of our single game buyers back each year for various mm-hmm. different reasons. Um, with the models that that Microsoft helped us develop, we were able we we were able to identify um, them at a thirty percent rate versus a ten percent rate of those that weren't coming back. And so they were they were definitely useful.
0: Can you explain that last point again? Like you were you were taking the model and then using that to target your outbound calls, and you were able to increase the rate uh, the return rate for those people that you wouldn't have otherwise, or for that group of people?
2: Well, we, we weren't able to, we didn't change the rate at which we were, um, converting them. We, with our single game buyers, we'll have about 15 to 20,000 people each year that are individual game buyers with the models we wanted to use, um, we wanted to look at and see who was likely to come back. And so Microsoft went through and identified, you know, we identified the top 10%. We said, these are the people that are going to come back. And of that 30% actually came back. Whereas the rest of the group that was identified as unlikely to come back, only 10% came back. So it was essentially was showing Mm -hmm. us that the model was able to identify these people, the people that we were looking for a lot better than our, our other, um, the other ways that we were doing this. And so in terms of like using that for, for the future, we our, our eventual goal is to get into like a fully automated system where a customer or a fan comes to us, they opt into us either through a previous purchase, they sign up for a, um, some sort of sweepstakes, they join an email uh, mailing list or something. And as, essentially we'd like to be able to pipe them through the models have them scored and then determine you know what's the best way to, to work with them. Do we want to get them into some sort of email drip campaign where we you know send them newsletters and we near them along that way? Should we be sending them sales marketing? Should we be putting them in a call campaign and having a sales rep talk to them? And so essentially, we'd like to have it to a fully automated system, um, but we're still in the early stages, just trying to to make sure that the tool works the way we want it to.
0: Mm-hmm. And now Azure. Uh, Azure ML is, is kind of a developer tool. How do you envision using that in the context of your various business processes? Would you be developing custom applications around it or um, using some interface where you can run reports against it? Have you thought that far about it yet?
2: Yeah, so on my team, we have an application developer. Um, we have a couple of analysts. We also have um, people that are focused on CRM and, and um, on the marketing and automation side. And the nice thing is is it, they play really well with Microsoft. And so essentially, we have um, the in-house capabilities to be able to load the data into the models. And with Azure ML, you, you essentially get like a, a, a web service endpoint with the results. And so the idea there mm-hmm. would be we would hook up some, some more ETL and then pipe that data over into our marketing automation system or over into CRM. And then from there, use the, the automations within those systems to uh, move forward with the, with the records.
0: Uh, and then where do you see this going? What are some of the other use cases that, that you've got in mind for this?
2: Yeah. Aside from like the the fully automated um, scoring system, you know, we're looking at other things. There's some built-in text analysis that we want to get into. Um, we get survey data. We'd like to be able to make that survey data more actionable. Be able to look at like the sentiment of the the customer and and be able to track that over time. Um, we'd also like to look at some things like help help on other projects that we look at each year. So one in particular is what we call our, our drop count model. And that's essentially how many people come to any given game um, for for various reasons, whether it's for staffing or for um, just understanding what the, the sales might be for that game, um, being able to model that out with, with this system rather than what we had been using in the past. And so there's a, a variety of different things that we want to get into, some automated and some just one-off situations where we want to use the, the algorithms to be able to get us more efficient.
0: Uh, and so you, you ran a couple of use cases. You got some promising early results. You're still kind of in advance of having this fully integrated into the way you do business. What are some of the barriers or impediments that um, you know, keep you from kind of you know, being all in already?
2: Time and workload, I guess, um, which, which I'm sure you'll hear from a lot of people. Um, uh-huh. No, we got a lot of a lot of great resources, but um, there's you know there's a lot of other responsibilities going on, so it's just getting that time to be able to work with it. Um, system integrations have come a long way over time, but there's still you know development that needs to be set up to integrate between between systems. So, you know, we're mm-hmm. working with a couple of Microsoft products. We're using um, Tableau for our data visualization our marketing automation tools and other system as well. So there's, you know, a lot of integrations that need to be set up. Um, And then again, just identifying where we can get the most bang for our buck in in the time that we do set up for the development, because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of projects that this could be worked on or could be used on, but finding the one that, that would be most useful is, is, is also another challenge.
0: Right. Um, For some of the future use cases, do you, envision um having Microsoft like similarly do some of the uh the data science pieces of it, the model development, or are you building capacity within the Trailblazers to do that kind of work? And and where are you on that maturity curve?
2: Yeah, well we're both. We we want to continue our partnership with Microsoft because they've been they've been great to work with. Um, but we are building the capacity internally. Um, I have some great people on my team. Um, a couple people in particular are ramping up on this. Um, we have an application developer that is is very well versed in the integrations with the different Microsoft systems. Um, he He manages our CRM system, which is also Microsoft and so we have a good setup there. Um, I have an analyst on my team that she's been spending countless hours just going through all the training, all the tutorials. We've had people come out and so just building up that internally. Um, I'd say we're still in the early phases and that's probably probably why it's taken us a little bit longer to get there because we don't have a full-blown data scientist on our team, but we're mm-hmm. certainly working on building that out internally while we continue to work with Microsoft.
0: Is there a particular skill set that that you can identify that's that's still lacking?
2: No, not so much. I mean it's it's essentially just getting getting used to the tool, getting used to how it works, understanding the different algorithms. There's a lot of different ways that things can be done and just gaining that maturity and experience in, in uh, the data science type areas. Right, right.
0: Now, Chen, we have a question for you. I've uh, looked at Azure uh, ML Studio in the past, and it's uh, it can be, I think, of the, the various cloud-based approaches to data science, I think it has an advantage in being pretty approachable. Um, because you can do a lot of GUI, you know, almost WYSIWYG—the type of thing that I think you know a lot of people expect from Microsoft. But it's also, you know, often developers and data scientists don't really like that kind of thing. It gets in their way. And I'm wondering, you know, for you as a data scientist that has, you know, deep knowledge of, you know, this tool, like how do you approach problems? Do you approach them within the kind of that GUI construct that
1: is the default for Azure ML or are there other ways that you use the tools? Very great question. So actually, uh, I have been using Azure Machine Learning Studio uh, for uh, about a year. So uh, indeed, we have both pros and cons for this uh, product. I think it's a great tool for uh, entry-level data scientists because as you mentioned, there are like GUIs and you can drag and you're on the uh, plan, and then you can uh, construct a machine learning experiment very quickly. And then also you can uh, deploy it as a web service. Um, but in the meantime, for uh, senior data scientists, they may want to uh, have more flexibility to control the uh, machine learning model and also maybe do more complex uh, data preparation steps. So that's why uh, recently Microsoft launched a new tool called Azure Machine Learning Workbench, which is primarily for uh, senior data scientists. It's again a data end-to-end data science and advanced analytics solution for uh, data scientists to like prepare data, develop experiments, and deploy models at a cloud scale. But uh, it also allows you to um uh, to uh, do a lot of things like without using the GUI. You can write everything basically using a, a Python script, or uh, yeah, or uh, de- develop uh, the model, uh, compare the model, uh, within the uh, Azure ML workbench, and then you can also deploy it mm-hmm. on different uh, sources.
0: And so, is the the user experience there? Uh, does it offer kind of the, the notebook paradigm that's becoming pretty popular for this kind of thing, or is it uh, more at the you know command line and, and code level?
1: Yeah, we have both actually. So uh, so first of all, if you are familiar with IPython notebook, you can directly jump in mm-hmm. to use that in uh, in the uh, Workbench environment. Uh, if you uh, are more familiar with like uh, Python script or uh, like a command line environment, you can like develop a Python script and run that script through the command line environment. And more uh, importantly, you can also deploy a machine learning model uh, either on a local machine or on a cloud cluster uh, through the uh, command line uh, interface.
0: And one of the things that that the ML Studio does for you is that it's it's kind of operating at this higher level of abstraction where you've got these building blocks for different types of models. Like you can you know drag and drop a, a random forest block model, for example, uh, and then kind of wire it up with your data. Are you do you have access to the same kinds of things in the workbench or are you rather shifting to kind of your your full native Python and scikit-learn and the kind of traditional Python ecosystem tools?
1: Um, so at this moment, we are kind of shifting towards the um, Python, uh, IPython notebook, scikit-learn, all kinds of tools. Uh, instead of like, uh, again, providing the GUI. So we, we talked
0: about some of the kind of pros and cons of that tool set in general. Were there any uh, challenges or places where you uh, ran into kind of hit a wall or or had to change your your strategy with regard to which tools you used in solving the specific use cases that you worked on for the Trailblazers?
1: So for this use case, I would say uh, because we are not trying to analyze like a, a huge volume of data and then also deploy it as like, for example, Spark uh, as a machine learning model on Spark, uh, the, um, the data size is pretty, uh, is, so far is not pretty small. Uh, so we can do the uh, model development work both on EdgeML Studio and Edge, ml Workbench. So uh, the primary goal of uh, improving our work uh, in the new environment is to try to uh, demonstrate the uh, new capabilities of this uh, Azure ML Workbench.
0: Okay. Okay. So you were able to do the things you needed to do with Studio Workbench is something that you'd go to if you wanted to scale it up or in terms of the data or wanted to you know, deploy it out to Spark, and you may deploy some use cases there just to kind of show them this new platform and how it compares to the original.
1: Yeah, I would say the primary goal is to showcase, but uh, also we want to uh, work with uh, Trailblazers in in case they want to uh, uh, like move towards the the new environment so that we can like help them understand how to uh, land on the new Azure ML Workbench.
0: And this, this question might be a little bit inside basketball, I guess. This is uh, for Chen Wei. Are you, you know, with the data scientist title, are you in a consulting organization with Microsoft or are you aligned with a, a product organization and just, you know, working with, uh, you know, this particular uh, customer because of their profile or how did you get involved in, in working on this project?
1: Okay, so uh, for my organization, originally I think we are more tied to uh, the product team, which is called Azure Machine Learning, as you you may know already. So uh, we are actually mm-hmm. uh, the Azure Data Science team under the uh, Microsoft AI and research. So right now, um, there's, uh, I think, intersection between both the product team and the uh, the research team in Microsoft. So essentially, we want to bring the advanced research results uh, to the product team so that we can develop like machine learning products based on those algorithms. So uh, that's where we came. Uh, so we, we try to stand in the middle and then try to understand both the uh, research results and also the, um, the need from the customer about the product. And are there any research results that you
0: can see playing a role in the types of problems that the trailblazers are
1: dealing with um so for me um uh, i'm pretty interested in like uh, uh, reinforcement learning and um, uh mm-hmm. deep learning as well so um so i was uh thinking about two uh, different use cases for example uh if we have like a really large amount of data say uh mm-hmm. like millions or billions uh, records then we may try to build a model with machine uh, with deep learning for now because of the uh uh, the goal uh, original was trying to prove a concept. so we, uh, we did not like uh, use I think a large volume of data. but later, yeah, if that's the case, we can try deep learning. And then another um, use case I was thinking about is to use reinforcement learning to uh, uh, learn the uh, behavior of the uh, customers and, and then try to send them offers uh, which may uh, sound more attractive to them. Can you walk us through how that might work? Um, So this is, um, again, so that's uh, based on my um, uh, intuition. It's not like a very mature idea uh, being discussed with Shareblazers. But for me, I think uh, if we want to uh, like uh, sell a ticket to your customer, the first step is to uh, predict whether the uh, customer is willing to buy it or not. And then the second step maybe is to determine the best price, right? So in that sense, uh, maybe uh, we need to uh, dynamically change the price according to certain criteria. Uh, for example, um, if there are other competitor, uh, other competitor uh, like NBA teams offering the same discount to to your customer, and then you mm-hmm. may offer like uh, at least the same discount, right? So a lot of factors may uh, play a lure in this kind of price optimization use case. So um, a I think, again, machine learning, such as reinforcement learning, can be a good tool for solving such complex problem. So
0: you're thinking that your reinforcement learner would be uh, kind of exploring this state space of like different types of buyers and different prices and things like that, and trying to find an optimal path through that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So essentially, what you can control is from... I think it's mainly the price or the discounts you offered to your customer right? Mm-hmm. And then the environment uh, that you are sitting in is very complicated. You have competitors, you have uh, your uh, customers may have different uh, background, you cannot control all of this. so that's why we need to use reinforcement learning to dynamically update your uh, price and discount to attract mm-hmm. your uh, customer. And I'm guessing that
0: uh, Azure ML Studio doesn't do reinforcement learning
1: yet. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, we don't have like uh, reinforcement learning as like uh, maybe a toolbox, but uh, internally we have like uh, uh, another tool called CNTK. Uh, in CNTK, actually, it has a, a comprehensive set of functionalities. So it also offers you the flexibility to develop reinforcement learning. Actually, I think in the newly released version, it has some tutorial about that.
0: Mike, before we close things down, are there, you know, if there were three things that you could uh, get from Microsoft in there in terms of, you know, the way they supported you or their tools, uh, do you have a wish list for them?
2: Offhand, I, I can't think of anything. Um, we've been, you know, very excited about the results. Um, I, I guess just being able to ramp up our internal, um, our internal knowledge, um, which they've been helpful with, and just getting the ability to spend some more time on these these types of projects would be, you know, the two things that we're looking for in terms of the tool itself. It's it's been great. Um, there isn't anything at, at the moment that I can think of that we would we would add.
0: Okay. Awesome, and, and Chen Wei, anything else that you uh, would add or would like to share?
1: Uh, I would say that it's a really great experience to work with raisers and then uh, to come up with the uh, solution and trying to improve the existing solution that we have built. So I really look forward, like, continuing working with you in the future.
0: Cool. Awesome Me too. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with uh, both of you and appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Mike, I wish you, uh, you and the Portland Trailblazers a great season.
2: Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Mike, Chenhui, or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimmelai.com slash talk slash 156. To follow along with the AI in sports series, visit twimmelai.com slash AI in sports. If you're a fan of the pod, we'd like to encourage you to head to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us your five-star rating and review. They are super helpful as we push to grow the show and the community. As always, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.